Let's say together a prayer as we hear the word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. I think everybody should have an app with Mo's voice reading the Bible to them. <laughs> Maybe more of us will read it more often. Ah, no laughter. <laughs> often an indication of where truth connects with our life. <laughs> Well, um, this morning it is a wonderful service, of course, as we celebrate this wonderful sacrament of baptism. And as many of you have already heard, um, that we consider this to be an important part of our Christian life, an important part of what it means to be a follower after Jesus Christ. Perhaps before I share some very brief thoughts to which God's people says, Amen. Brief but good, so you can say Amen. And I preach in relation to your disposition, you know that. So if you look sour, I'm gonna be a while. Uh, but before I begin, perhaps some of us could be reminded of our own baptism. Think back to the time, the place, the person who performed that sacrament for us. I think uh, as we prepare to baptize those who have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, it is also important that not only do these initiates understand what it means to be baptized, but that we as the community of faith are drawn back to our own baptismal identity. We are those who are named as belonging to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying that that the New Testament affirms is that we are the beloved of God because of Christ. And many of us may struggle to think of ourselves as those truly beloved of God. But this morning, the text that we find ourselves in is a familiar one. And I find that for familiar texts, especially to Christians who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, we often think we already know what it means. Now that might be true, but there's a way in which the Holy Spirit does speak to us in familiar text if we are open to hearing his word to us this morning. I pray that as I share these thoughts, you would be reminded of who you are in Christ. His great sacrifice that has made you and me more than we ever could be on our own. 400 years, that's what scholars suggest, passed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
That's significant for a few reasons. The first reason is simply this. There had not been a prophet who had spoken on behalf of God to Israel, God's chosen people, in over 400 years. Now, 400 years of silence is a long time. And if you study the Bible carefully, you realize that God at times is silent. Have you experienced God's silence in your own life? Have you been in a place where you've waited and anticipated and longed for God to show up in some form? Perhaps you've been praying about something and you've asked God, you know, I really want you to come through. But if you study the Bible closely, you see this God who seems to not work oftentimes with Israel's time schedule and hence I would say even today does not seem to work along with our own. But there is a grace in waiting in scripture. There is a necessity to waiting. You see, God does not always respond as Israel would have him respond, neither does God respond when Israel would have him respond. But of this we are certain, according to the witness of the scripture this morning, that God, when he promises something, he will do what he promised he will do. I thought I'd get an amen from the sanctified side. (laughs) That God can be counted on. His delay does not mean that he had forgotten. In fact, it is easy to understand Israel's own sense of of perhaps discontent. Uh, It's easy to relate with them when we put ourselves in a position of having to wait on something for a, a time that we don't know when it will come. It could also be reasonable to suggest that in the New Testament when this voice appears in the wilderness crying out, looking much like Elijah of the Old Testament, that those who had perhaps grown weary, those who had began to say to themselves, maybe God has given up on us. Remember, when I, when I ta- teach on the Old Testament and I talk about Israel, it's easy to be critical of Israel, but we do find ourselves resonating a lot more with the reality of Israel if we are honest. This God of covenant comes to us and embraces us and commits himself to us, and we are in relationship, but we soon forget There seems to be this cycle of relationship and rebellion and reconciliation that happens time upon time throughout Scripture. And here, the absence, the the, the silence is pierced by a voice of one crying out in the wilderness a message of judgment and repentance. The voice of John is one that calls people back to the ways of God, calling people to acknowledge that they had fallen short. And I want you to pay attention to the text because it's very, very evident there, but we miss it very quickly if we don't slow down when we read the scripture. It says that everyone, all the people from the Judean countryside, the paraphrased version would say all the country bumpkins and the sophisticated from Jerusalem, all of them flock to the prophet's baptism. You see, I I am of the opinion that we can only fully enter into the text if we understand that there has been a waiting that precipitated this very event, that there had been a hopefulness that had been delayed for a long time, that there were a people who were hungry to see a Messiah, even though they did not know what that Messiah would look like, and even John, as wonderfully, divinely prophetic and wild as he was, even in his own expectations of the Messiah, could he not fathom the kind of Messiah that Jesus would be? But nonetheless... The prophetic voice is a voice of hope for Israel because God had not forgotten them. 
to which we should say amen. You know, there's a sense in which in my own spiritual life, there are times where I perhaps operate like Israel does. I long for God to intervene, and in, his, in my waiting, I might become despondent. But then comes the prophetic voice to the people that not only calls them back to God, but calls them back to the wilderness. Did you note that in the text? Those of you who are Bible scholars would know this, that it is in the wilderness that God names the people as his holy people. Do you remember that? In fact, is that me or is that the kids? <laughs> I was just remembering what I ate. I was like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay. It's not my stomach. Joy is an evidence of the spirit in our lives. Amen. We can laugh in the church, can't we? I hope so. Not at me, with me, Jonathan. <laughs> but it is in the desert, it is in the wilderness, of course, that, that God provides and names the people. In fact, if you think about it this way, that he set them free from enslavement to Egypt, and he passed, made a way for them through the water into the wilderness where they are named. You see, it's in the desert location, in the wilderness, in the dry place, in the place that they could no longer hold on to even the slight comfort they had in Egypt or the inheritance of a promised land that God separates his people unto himself and reminds them of their deep need for him. When the John the Baptist calls them back to the wilderness, he's calling them to remember the God who led them out of slavery into promise. He's calling them back to remember that it is in the wilderness that God does his great work in the life of his people. There's various versions of Christianity today that paints a picture that there is no deserts in this journey. There's no wilderness experiences. It's onward and upward, and if you're not going onward and upward, something is wrong with you. But I have come to realize in my own journey, and as I reflect upon the biblical witness, that there are often dry points by God's design. It is God who leads Israel. There's often times in which we cannot go back and rely upon the past things that held us up. Some of us may be tempted to fall back on past behaviors. Some of us may be tempted to, to find comfort in previous ways of being. But no, the, 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 the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness calls Israel into the desert to remind them that it was there that they had the clarity of mind and heart to remember that God is God and that he has made them his people. I don't know if it's fair to say this, but as a pastor, I think it's okay for me to say this to you, that I do not fear or fret when you go through dry places. In fact, my prayer for you is that the dry places of your life would lead you to the living water that comes from the very source of God. I pray that you would understand that if you're in a dry place today, that there is deep mercy for you. There is grace. There is the God who calls his people by his name and says, if you will trust in me and if you will follow my ways, I will lead you through the desert into the land of promise. The voice that calls Israel to repentance is a voice that calls them back to remembering the place where God had named them his own. When I was baptized, when I still had hair, I don't know why you laugh at some things and some things you don't laugh at. 
that was not the place to laugh, but <laughs> the grace of God is in my life. When I was baptized, I was baptized in the Bontehivel Church of the Nazarene in Cape Town, South Africa. Ironically, on this very day and earlier this morning, my brother preached in this very church. In fact, he now is the pastor of the Bontehivel Church of the Nazarene. They had the biggest baptismal tank you could ever dream of. It was the square footage of the entire stage. It took, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, days to fill it. I don't know why they designed it that way. <laughs> but this was the location of my baptism, as if to say he needs to go down deep. <laughs> he needs to be submerged completely. He needs to be put under completely. It's interesting though, isn't it, that when John proclaims a baptism unto repentance that Jesus would be the one he says is to come, that this is the way to prepare, and yet it is Jesus who comes to John and says, this is the right thing to do. The other gospels would, would go further and say, for the sake of righteousness you must now baptize me. If you've ever struggled with what to think of the perfect one, the one who was blameless, the one who the Bible said was without sin entering the baptismal waters, it has to do with everything I had just said before. Because what God had promised Israel he would do, he was doing now in Christ. Where Israel fell short, Jesus would not. You see, as they entered and walked through the waters into the land of promise, so Jesus would go through the baptismal waters. And did you read the, the gospel carefully? It is following his baptism that the Holy Spirit would lead him where? Into the desert where he will be tested. For how long? 40 days. 40 days of testing in the wilderness. 40 years of testing in the desert for Israel. But unlike Israel, Jesus did not succumb to the temptation to seek unhealthy political affiliation with the powers that be, or to succumb and use his own power to feed himself. But instead, he rested in the word of God and resisted Satan under the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the baptism of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise not only for Israel, but for all of creation, that he will indeed make them his own again, to which all God's people should say amen. You see, it's not just that he was without sin. But the scandal of the text is that the very God who has the right to judge us for our disobedience while in the wilderness is the God who steps into the waters of repentance on our behalf. Jan, it is the reason he says to you, you are my daughter whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. You see, the reason he steps into the water is so that the affirmation that the Father gives to him, that he is the Son whom, whom he is well pleased, might be given to all who are baptized in his name. The reason he walks and let himself be baptized unto repentance in the waters by John the baptized is so that when we at our baptismal stand before him, we may hear the very same words, you are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. Oh man, you know, uh, Pastor Brian, I was expecting at least one amen from you today. <laughs> pastor Brian was the pastor, one of the pastors of this church for many years. It's good to have him and Colleen with us. And um, They are on vacation and they thought they'd make, come make sure that I'm still staying on track. <laughs> Our baptisms are ones in which much emphasis in our Protestant tradition is placed upon what we do 
but I want you to think about it differently. I want you to think about it, initiates candidates this morning, Benjamin and Caleb. I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about it as what Christ has done for you. What God is calling you to be and what he has named you as. I want you to see that this is the God who, as, uh, as Roman has so wonderfully pointed out, does not stay disconnected from creation, but steps into the very position, the very place where Israel again repents from her ways, and there takes his place amongst them, alongside them, so that he can offer them what he already has as the son of the true and living God. One of the most profound gifts that parents can give their children is the deep assurance of the unconditional love. One of the deep assurances of our faith is that God through Christ speaks that deep, infinite love upon us, his children. Secure children behave differently. Children who know they are loved have a deep faith, a lasting faith. Children who operate in insecurity or in conditional love, they, they, they seem to have less rigidity, not rigidity, but less assurance of who they are. Children who are affirmed deeply by their parents are children that stand a chance in life to operate it out of who they are as the beloved. It is true of Jesus in his ministry, and it is true of the church today, and it will be true of both these young men this morning. It is at your baptism that the Father speaks, this is my Son whom I love. In Him <laughs> I am well pleased. Oh, the deep hunger of the longing of our hearts is to believe this truth that God says this of us, and yet many of us this morning may not feel that way about our lives. We may not feel like we are the beloved, that we are the ones who brings God delight and joy, but in and because of Jesus, in faith we access this truth, and we believe that what he has done, he has done for us. I wonder this morning as we prepare to baptize these young men, uh, whether we would just think carefully about the significance of this sacrament. It is a naming sacrament. It names us as those who belong to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's calling upon your life is to live lives faithfully out of the knowledge that you belong to him. When my children, my own children, those born through my wife unto our home, uh, tend to kind of suggest to me that there is another way that they can live their life based upon their friends' guidance or their home life, I respond in the brief moments of wisdom that God gives me as a parent and says, remember who you are. It is this very baptism that calls you now to understand that you belong to this great God who in Christ has made you his own. You must live true to the identity that he has given you. Baptism is the beginning and not the end. 
Have you noticed in the gospel reading itself that the Spirit is operative in the naming and the affirmation of God's love for the Son, but it is also the Spirit that leads the Son in His ministry. It is the beginning for for you who are baptized today that you would live in accordance to the will of God, not in your own strength, but empowered by His very Spirit which He gives to you freely. You know, many Christians try to live their life on their own. We think it's just about us and Jesus. How false that is. We think that if we just understand enough about the Bible, we'll be good to go. But it is true of the early church as it is true in the example of the Gospels that God knows we need help. Amen. God knows that the work he's begun, the naming that he's done, is a name that we have to learn to live into. It is sometimes so hard to believe what the Bible says is true about us, except for the gift of his spirit. As the Apostle Paul says, it is his spirit who testifies with our spirit. Do you remember the scripture? That we are indeed sons and daughters of the living God. It is his spirit that helps and testifies to our spirit, and it is by his spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. So the work of baptism is not just a work that names you, but it is a work that opens your life more to the power of his Holy Spirit. Be open today. In this very simple pouring of water across your being, I pray that you would open yourself in faith to the God who gives his Holy Spirit to those who desire it. And I pray that he would fill you abundantly with his very Spirit, that you would walk in his ways, that you would live according to his plan. Those of us who have been baptized, I invite you to remember who you are this morning and to ask yourself the sobering question, am I living true to the confession that I've made? Am I living as the beloved of God? We do not live the life God has called us to on our own. We need the Spirit, but we also need one another. Amen. These young men, they need some tanned uncles. Some not sure whether they should laugh at that. They need some spiritual moms. They need some loving siblings. They need, to need, they need some truth tellers, those to hold them accountable to the ways of God, to remind them when, when, they, when they tend to not live out of who God has made them, to say, this, this is not the way in which you ought to live. You see, this, this is the gift of the church to one another. This is when the church does its best work, when we recognize that we play an essential role in what is proclaimed here today. And so, I'm printing on both sides these days, and so I get confused. Did you notice how I was, which number am I on? As we prepare to baptize uh, these young men, I invite you to remember who you are. I invite you to pray for them. And fight you to do far more than pray for them. I pray that you would have the boldness to come alongside them. It is a difficult world to grow up faithfully to Jesus, isn't it? 
You know, with my children, um, the older they get, the more I pray. I think the church ought never to forsake its role and its responsibility to supporting as best we can. Young men who today could have confessed other things in their life are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. This is a good day. <laughs> this is a glorious day. This is a powerful day. This is a day in which I believe all the heavenly host rejoices with the confession that is made here. This is the day where from heaven we hear the words spoken that this is my beloved children. I pray that we would respond with celebration and joy, giving God thanks for Jesus. I'd like to invite uh, Caleb and Benjamin to come, as well as Pastors Wayne uh, Reed, as well as Pastor Ryan. Uh, as they come to the front, uh, and you can stand on whichever side of me, it doesn't matter. We had one more candidate, but unfortunately, uh, due to flight delays, uh, <laughs> then she's not able to be with us today. But we, the good thing is we can baptize again by the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> uh, Christian baptism is a sacrament, sacrament signifying participation by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and incorporation into his body, the church. It is a means of grace, proclaiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul declares that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. We are buried with him through baptism so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, as the song so wonderfully put it, we too are raised to walk in newness of life. As we have been united with him in his death, we also will be united with him in his resurrection. The Christian faith into which you now come to be baptized is affirmed in the creeds of the church, the ancient creed, the apostle creeds which we confess. And I ask you now as the congregation to join me in affirming the faith in which we have placed before these young men. It will be on the screen behind me, and if you would like to, you can turn and read as well. Let us read. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This is your affirmation. This is your belief. This is your faith. I ask you now both, will you be baptized into this faith if so, respond, I will. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and do you believe, do you now believe that he saves? If so, respond, I do by faith.
as a member of the church of Jesus Christ, will you follow him all the days of your life, growing in grace and the love of God and neighbor? If so, respond, I will with God's help. Amen. Both Caleb and Benjamin has prepared some testimonies they'd like to share with us. And so I'm going to invite you to go first, Caleb. And then when you're done, just pass the microphone on to Benjamin. So hello, uh, my name is Caleb. Um, a few of you may not know me or may think that I'm new to Skyview, but the reality of it is I've been in and part of Skyview community since 2011. Um, the reason for being part of Skyview community was all thanks to my good friend and only friend at the time, Zachary Schirschmidt, who invited me to uh, the youth group. At that particular time, I was not very rooted in my faith, even though I'd been not only part of a Christian family, but a pastoral family and, uh, wait, and uh, had said the Lord's Prayer multiple times. You see, I had formed a habit of not portraying myself truthfully, uh, lying, a sin that was destroying my relationship with friends and family. On multiple occasions, I remember Zachary and many other people calling me out on these facades I had put up and putting me into a tailspin and me backtracking to find where I could pick up on my lie again. Uh, these lies were very hard to keep track of. Uh, graduating high school uh, almost felt like a way to rebrand myself and leave the lies behind. During this time of going from high school to college, I noticed that the only thing that I really did not want to rebrand about myself was that I was a Christian. All the values and beliefs that came with my faith remained, remained true to me and showed me that I could be a light in the lives of these college students. This allowed for some very interesting lunchtime conversations with many classroom friends, resulting in many of them wanting to know more um, even though I had started to develop my faith and left it open for all to see, I found myself in the same sin of lying and once again applying a facade to family and friends. Every day is a battle to be truthful and let people know that I'm not perfect and as cool as I try to be. And, it, and it's only with Jesus that I have been able to fight it off. I'm being baptized today as a way to grow in my faith even more and be content with being a child of God because what more is there to want in that? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You can applaud if you want. <laughs> Benjamin. Uh, hi, I'm Ben. I've been here, I guess, feels like four, six months, a few months, uh, so I'm kind of new. A lot of you don't know me, I guess. Um, I guess I'll just read what's on this paper. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm here today because I want to make a public profession of the faith that I have in God. Uh, from a young age, I believed in God and the Bible. Only recently has this started to be something real to me, a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. When I was young, I was often miserable and I was driven to God, deeply unhappy, hoping that he would give me a way out. I prayed often and sometimes obsessively, and my parents taught me about the Bible and introduced me to Christian literature. I was deeply confused for many years, believing in a personal and caring God, but not experiencing him. 
relying on my own emotions instead of having faith in him. The bottom line is that I never took God seriously because whenever I, whenever I was presented with a choice of doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing, I would do whatever made me feel good. I got older and bolder and started to be more honest with myself. Most of my religion is actually parental guidance mixed with a personal need to feel a little less unhappy. I graduated in 2015 and early in 2017 left my parents' house to live on my own. I still believed in God, but to cope with feeling low and to have a little fun, I started to experiment with recreational drugs. They offered me a real respite and gave me a little bit of the control that I wanted desperately over my own mind. Instead of dealing with my problems, I could give my brain a long-lasting rush of happiness and optimism, free of guilt or responsibility. I guess what, what Pastor Stu said about, you know, when you're in the desert, that's when uh, God gave Israel their name. Uh, they found their identity. I guess I relate to that a lot because, you know, I'm a pretty young guy. I haven't experienced a lot of hardship, but the deserts I've been in, you get in there and you think it's as bad as it can be, and then it just gets worse. And uh, um, Even as I self-medicated to erase the darkness and confusion in my mind, I realized that if I was going to change, I had to encounter God, and it had to be on my own. No props, no parents, no pastor could mediate between me and God. I don't know at when exactly things change for me. I feel like my whole life has been orchestrated to point me in a certain direction. And God has been there even when I didn't want him. I know that right now I trust God, and I believe in his son. I know that I don't rely on my emotional experiences to tell me that God is my friend and my Lord. I know that when I sin, I am as much a Christian as when I do the right thing, because my identity has been changed, and not from my own strength, but through his love, and that love is a lot bigger than my own problems. God is real, but he's a lot more than that. He's personal to me. I follow after him, and he helps me to change. He gave up his only son for me. He saved me from my stupid and pointless ideas. And I want to join you all in living a life that points in the direction of the real God and to thank him for what he's done for me. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We invite our worship team to come, and we're going to invite you to stand and sing one more song as we get ready. Um, and we'll be baptizing these two young men in just a moment.